Thank you, Esther, for that prayer. Um, well, hello, everyone. My name is Paul, uh, one of the servants here at New Life. I want to thank you especially for joining us uh, on this evening as we uh, close out the year 2021 and usher in the new year together uh, through worship. If you have a Bible, please open up to the book of Haggai. Uh, it's a book that we don't usually read too often, but it's towards the end of the Old Testament. It's a very short book, so you might be able to pass by the book of Haggai, but if you don't have your Bibles, you can feel free to look on the screens behind me. Um, and as an act of worship, I know we just sat down, but let's all stand as an act of God's uh, act of worship for reading of God's word tonight for today's worship. This is God's holy and perfect word for his people today. The book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways, you have sown much, and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earn, earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills on the grain, the new wine, the oil on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labors. And this is God's reading of his word. Please take your seats. Let's pray once again, shall we? Father, we ask at this time you would open our hearts and our minds to hear your word today, Lord. As we close out this year, 2021, would you remind us and convict us of our sins, but also help us to be reminded of the good news as we usher in the new year, 2022. And may we uh, just be so ever grateful for the gift of your son. I will pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, my fiance Sally is a bookworm. She loves reading. Uh, she loves reading from books like memoirs or nonfictions, Malcolm Gladwell books, uh, fiction. She loves The Handmaid's Tale. She reads on and on. And, you know, when I was in my final year of seminary in the middle of the pandemic in Zoom classes, she recommended me a book to read. She said, This is a really good book. I want you to read this, please. So, being a good boyfriend back then, I was like, Sure. I went on Amazon Prime right away, came in two days, bought it. I was on my desk for about a week, and I got so busy with school and church and moved on to the bookshelf. And having seen that I haven't even touched the book, she said, did you even read the first chapter? And my answer would always be, I'm too busy. i got to finish seminary. I have class. I have church. I'll finish after I graduate. And I graduated and still have not read the book. And if I'm honest with you, I don't know what the title of that book is, but I know it's in the bookshelf somewhere uh, in my room. You see, she always begged me and pleaded me to read that book, and my answer was, I'm too busy, I'll read it after I graduate. I'm too busy, let me prepare for college ministry, and then I'll read it. Let me get my licensure, let me do ordination, and then I will 
read your book. You see, the point is this, friends. In this broken world that we live in, as fallen sinners, all of us have a problem with busyness and priorities. You see, maybe as you reflect on this past year, we have all been too busy with work, with school, with keeping up with all the COVID mandates and protocols and changing uh, and mix of joys and sorrows, your goals being met and missed, friendships gained, friendships lost. It's been a crazy busy year, hasn't it? And as believers here today, church, if we're really honest with ourselves, we've also too often, I think, been too busy for God. As Kevin DeYoung writes in his book, Crazy Busy, he says this, we are here and there and everywhere. We're distracted. We are preoccupied. We can't focus on the task in front of us. We don't follow through. We don't keep our commitments. We are so busy with a million pursuits that we don't even notice the most important things slipping away. And that's what we see here in our passage in the book of Haggai. Right? God's people living with the problem of being too busy for their God. Right? God's people living in misplaced, distorted priorities. And so that's what I want to talk about with you all here tonight, about priorities, right? As we look into the new year 2022 with all the new year resolutions and new goals and aspirations, how can we begin the new year 2022 with the right set of priorities? So three quick, simple points for us today. First are misplaced priorities, and then the reason for our misplaced priorities, and lastly, reordering our priorities, Let's jump into our first point, our misplaced priorities. <clears throat> well, the book of Haggai is a very short book. If you flipped one page, it's only two chapters long. It's focused on the rebuilding of God's temple in Jerusalem. And if you've been joining us on, with us on Sundays, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah as our Sunday sermon series. And it's about the people of God from Israel returning back from exile and rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. And Haggai actually takes place only about 60 years before the book of Nehemiah. So it's very similar setting and context to the book of Nehemiah that we've been going through. And Haggai, as God's prophet, his message is this. Essentially, it's a stern rebuke to the leaders, leaders of Israel, specifically the governor Zerubbabel and the high priest Joshua for failing to prioritize the rebuilding of God's temple. You see, commentators say that in verse 1, it says, the second year of Darius the king, it marks that it's already been Several years since the Israelites came back from the exile, and yet they were too busy spending all their time and resources and money building their own homes rather than building God's temple. And that's when Haggai comes and rebukes specifically the leaders in verses 2 and 4. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Verse 4, well, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, God's house, lies in ruins. In other words, he's saying, are your own houses really more important than your love and obedience and your worship for your God? All right, friends, it's like when your spouse asks you to do something, you tell them, I have no time, I'm too busy. But somehow you always have time to watch basketball games or your favorite Korean drama on Netflix. Or your parents or your friend asks you to do a favor and you say, I'm too busy, I don't have time. But somehow you have always time to scroll through your phones on your social media, on Instagram or TikTok, whatever it may be. But you might think that God's expectation is way too high. Right? Don't the people, even the governor and the high priest, don't they need to build their own houses first to sleep in so that they can build the temple? And yes, that's absolutely true, but that's not why God sent Haggai as a prophet. Because if you look closely, God is asking through Haggai, 
Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? You see, the Hebrew word for panel is often used in the Old Testament for sealing or paneling as a sign of excessive, extra embellishment and luxury. In other words, it wasn't the fact that they built their houses first before building God's house, but the fact that they were prioritizing their own comforts, their own convenience, their own luxury over their worship and obedience and love for their God who kept his promise of returning his people from exile. Well, you and I might not be too busy building paneled houses for ourselves, but as Eric Raymond, a pastor in Boston area, writes this, we have, in the days of Haggai, a very similar to what we face today, similar scenario to what we face today. Through the day-to-day life filled with the day-to-day tasks and agendas, the pursuit of personal advancement was promoted to a position of preeminence. And as a result, the agenda of God and his will for his people gets sacrificed on the altar of personal pursuits. In other words, church, in the midst of the busyness of your work, your school, your parenting, your marriage, your relationships and friendships, whether you know it or not, you might be more similar to Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people of Israel in our passage more than you like to think you are. It may not be your paneled houses, but what about your drive for success and excellence at work or school, as good as they may be, that may keep you too busy for the Lord? Or what about your tendency to become a workaholic that keeps you from your daily feeding and drinking and breathing down his word to sustain you, that you sacrifice your spiritual health, your spiritual vitality on the altar of that next promotion, that next raise, or that personal ambition? What about your inability to control your social media consumption, right? That keeps you from keeping your mind on the heavenly things that you sacrifice, your deep, daily, intimate conversations with God on the altar of trends and personal entertainment. You know, we can go on and on about our misplaced priorities and busyness, but the deeper question we have to ask is why? Why do we keep misplacing our priorities every single year? It leads us to our second point the reason for our misplaced priorities. But the question is, why do our same New Year resolution that we make every year to grow closer to Christ, to read the Bible more, to pray to God more, always take the back seat and slowly disappear to the bottom of our list by the time December comes around and we say, sorry, God, I'll try better. But why are we always too busy for God? Well, we could argue that you and I have a priority problem where we have the habit of putting career family, money, anything you can put in there above God. And that's true. Or we could argue that we have a scheduling problem, that we just need to be better schedulers, to be better, have better self-discipline. And that's absolutely true. But Paul Tripp, a CCF counselor, says that that's not deep or far enough. We have to admit that we have an identity problem that results in wrong priorities and unbalanced schedules. This is what he says. We have an identity problem because we forget who God is, who we are, and what we have been given in Christ by grace. When we suffer from an identity problem, we look horizontally for what we've been already been given vertically. And Tripp goes along and he says, gives us three things that you and I might find our identity in. And let me go through this briefly. First, he talks about our identity in achievement and success. Second, he talks about our identity in power and control and then identity and affluence and possessions. But briefly, this is what he says. 
First, identity and achievement and success. This is many of us who says, I am what I have accomplished. Or you believe that your achievement, your success, your legacy makes you who you are. So what do you do? You prioritize your work. You forget who God is. You forget who God made you to be. And you forget what you've been already been given in Christ. But second, our identity and power and control. This is many of us, including myself, that might say, I'm in control. Therefore, I am. Or you don't have to be the president or the CEO or a pastor to place your identity and power and control. You could be hungry for control in the way you eat, in the way you dress, in the way you parent your children, in the way you portray yourself in social media. And last but not least, our identity and affluence and possessions. This is some of us who might say, I am the size of the pile of stuff that I have. So you may attach your identity to gaining the newest tech, maintaining your homes, enjoying your cars, and before you know it, the giver of all things and gifts and the things you own and enjoy have been put on the bottom of your priority list. And friends, when you begin to misplace God as the highest priority of your life because of this identity problem that you and I both have, we face a very similar problem to the Israelites of our passage in the book of Haggai. If you look at verse 6, in his rebuking prophecy against the Israelites, Haggai reminds them, consider your ways. Look at what you are. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. You see, God through Haggai is saying, your misplaced priorities, your sin of being too busy for me, you're placing your identity in what you earn, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, what you possess, are the very reasons for the famine and the drought in Jerusalem. You see, they were working hard, busy with life, but still lacking. They were eating and drinking, but still hungry and thirsty. They were earning money but also still in the red. In other words, because the people of Israel has simply neglected what was of first importance and priority, God frustrated their work. And verse 9 tells us God did this. Why? Because his temple, his house, was still left in ruins while the people had their fancy homes still to live in. What does that mean for you and me? What does Haggai and his prophecy mean for you and me? It doesn't mean that God is going to curse your work or your business or your marriage, your reputation, and make your life just miserable if you forget to put him on the top of your New Year resolution. But what it does mean and what it does show us is the grim reality of the meaninglessness and the emptiness of our work when our God is dethroned from where he belongs and replaced by our financial security, physical aspirations, and personal pursuits of our glory and fame and reputation. Now I have a friend, um, one of my closest friends, I asked him to be one of my best men for the wedding. Um, He is an interesting guy. He wakes up, he eats, goes to work out, comes back, he's still hungry and eats. Goes to work, eats there, comes back, we'll have dinner together, and we'll be stuffed, and then 30 minutes later, he's the type of guy that says, I'm still hungry, who wants ramen? And at 3 a.m. I hear him cooking ramen by himself. That's the kind of, kind of uh, friend that I have. And I almost think it's like a curse, right? He can never have enough. He's always hungry. He's always wanting a little bit more. And I know it's a silly example, but in the same way, friends, when you and I put our identity 
in achievement and success. When we prioritize our work and our reputation above God and our relationship with him, the joy of your today's success is going to fade, and then you'll need the next one to keep you going, and then you'll need the next one. And before realizing it, Paul Tripp says, success will have more from something you enjoy having to something that you cannot have enough of. Or when you and I put our identity in power and control, we prioritize how we can be in charge and become gods of our own little kingdoms. And then we'll be like the Israelites of Haggai who clothe ourselves but never be warm. Or you can clothe yourself with power and control, but you'll never be at peace. You'll always be anxious and on high alert, wondering if everything will go according to your plan. And that's a tiring, stress-inducing, cold kind of life. Or when you and I put our identity in possession and wealth, we prioritize what we gain, what we earn and buy and possess over worshiping and enjoying the greatest gift from God, his own son, Jesus Christ, will be just like the Israelites of Haggai's days in an unfortunate cycle of earning coins, putting them into a bag full of holes. You might have heard this story before, but John Rockefeller, one of the richest men that ever lived in this country, was asked once at the peak of his wealth, where how much money is enough? And his answer was just a little bit, just a little bit more. And that's the sad, broken reality of your and my identity problem, friends, even as we try to put things in order and prioritize things in our depraved, empty, and sinful hearts, we'll always be wanting just a little bit more, just a little bit more success, just a little bit more power and control, just a little bit more financial security. And before we realize it's December 31st again and God has become the least of our priorities. Leads us to our final point, reordering our priorities. Well, I know this has been all bad news for the past 15 minutes or so, and thanks for bearing with me. And if we left it at that, it would just be a depressing New Year's Eve and a depressing New Year's too. So here's the good news if you are in Christ Jesus today. Here's the good news. God knows that your priorities and my priorities are so upside down, so misplaced, so distorted. Your God knows how busy you are with your work, with your school, with broken relationships, family issues, with your loneliness and depression, with your body slowly deteriorating. God knows your busy lives and your restless hearts. And what's interesting is that if you look at the very last two verses, I'm not going to read it here, but verses 10 and 11, Haggai is actually pronouncing a divine curse. That's actually recorded in Deuteronomy 28, where God gives warning to his covenant people who neglect him as the most important priority, those who worship the gifts rather than the giver, those who replace their identity and everything else but their creator, their redeemer, their sustainer, their savior. He pronounces a curse. And Haggai is telling the Israelites, this covenant curse is what you deserve. Your God is a jealous God. He cannot bear to be the last of your priorities. He does not deserve to be a third or the second of your priorities. Your God belongs and the utmost, highest importance and priority. And brothers and sisters, people like you and me who push God down slowly to the bottom of our priority list and New Year resolutions, who can come up with hundreds of excuses why God comes second, why church comes second, 
why our personal devotion and worship and prayer life and relationship with our God comes after we have things sorted out. You and I also deserve this covenant curse of futility, of famine and drought, of frustration and unsuccessful work, and on a much deeper spiritual level, death, a spiritual death being cut off from the love and grace and forgiveness from God. And friends, if we're honest tonight, you and I deserve that curse. But the good news on this side of the cross is that Jesus has borne that curse upon himself for you and me. You see, Jesus didn't come down to this earth only for those who have all of their priorities straightened out. Or only for those who actually put God above all things. Only for those who place their identity in him rather than achievement and power and wealth. You see, Jesus came for broken people like you and me. He came for those who might actually believe, only if I get that next promotion, then I can finally prioritize God above my life. Once my body finally heals and is healthy, then I promise my relationship with God will become my number one priority. Once my marriage is better, once my children grows up, once my student loan and debt is paid off, once I find the love of my life, then I promise God will be number one. You see, the good news is, friends, Jesus, who deserves all glory and praise in his achievement and success as the Son of God, as the perfect, sinless, obedient God-man, Jesus, who has absolute power and control as the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus, who possessed all the heavenly riches beyond our imagination, was born in a manger. He came to this earth as a son of a carpenter, walked with the poor, ate with the prostitutes, slept with the lowly and the marginalized, hung naked with nothing but a crown of thorns so that he can take upon the covenant curse you and I deserved as people who always misplace God in our priorities. But he also came, friends, that you and I can properly reorder our priorities by being caught up in his beauty and glory so that we wouldn't want anything else above Jesus that we would see that all we actually and truly need in this difficult, broken, tempting life and the next can be fulfilled and satisfied in Christ alone. And that's the good news, friends, that you and I can find pure joy, pure peace, pure contentment in the person and work of Jesus that no achievement, no power, no control, no wealth, no relationship in this life can give you. So don't let your guilty conscience be the motivating factor to put God as the top of your priority this new year because that may only last you through February 1st when you're stuck in the book of Exodus. Or don't let your fear of your work being cursed and wondering if God is going to frustrate your plans be the reason you put him first because that only leads you to an unhealthy conditional relationship with your God. Or don't let your new year resolution to love God's first simply be, be a behavioral change. Instead, let Jesus' love and his heart for sinners like you and me be the reason that you put him first. Or let the beauty of Jesus and his gentle and his lowly heart for undeserving people like you and me just arrest your heart, capture your souls, and make all the dreams and goals and aspirations and resolutions you might have in this coming year just fade away in comparison to his glory and his beauty. As Jonathan Edwards, a Puritan preacher, once said in his sermon, there is no love 
so great and so wonderful as that which is in the heart of Christ. He is one that delights in mercy. He is ready to pity those that are suffering in sorrowful circumstances. The love and grace that Christ has manifested does as much exceed all that which is in this world as the sun is brighter than a candle. It is the sight of the divine beauty of Christ that bows the wills and draws the hearts of men. It is the sight of the divine beauty of Christ that bows the wills and draws the hearts of men. So dear members and visitors and live streamers of New Life Press, as we wrap up this crazy year 2021, and we welcome in the new year 2022 with hopes of this pandemic finally coming to an end, with many goals and dreams and vision that you want to achieve, with your new year resolution you're excited to check off one by one, I pray that your most important priority as a child of God would be to simply gaze upon the person of Jesus Christ that you would see the beauty of his welcoming heart and just simply let Jesus draw you in through the loveliness of his heart. Right? Instead of letting it simply be a chore or just a, another New Year resolution, open up his very own spoken word given to you in the Bible and find out for yourself more deeply about who your Savior is. Or find out how deep his heart actually is for you, how patient he really is for you and how much deeper his grace runs than your sins. Right? Instead of trying to squeeze in prayer in the beginning of your busy schedule in the morning, remember that you have a friend and an advocate who understands fully what you're going through right now and what you will go through in the new year, and who himself is the peace that surpasses all understanding, who delights in hearing your cries and your joys and all your prayers. And then allow Allow the tender and accessible heart of Jesus be so irresistible, so unforgettable that no achievement and success, that no power and control, that no possession or wealth, that no ideal relationships and marriage, no bodily or mental or emotional health, no personal dreams and goals and aspirations can dare to compete for your heart and your priorities in this coming new year. Let's enter our God in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this evening as we close out this year of 2021. And Lord, if we're honest in our hearts, we have neglected this identity problem that we have, Lord, that we have put our identity in the things that we own, in the things that we achieve, in the power and control that we have. But Father, we pray as we head into the new year that, Lord, we may not just simply change the orders of our resolutions, that we may not simply change our behaviors and our actions and our schedules, but Father, that you would change our hearts, that you would remind us through your word and in our daily conversation with you, that you would remind us of how deep your mercy really is, how wide your grace is for sinners like us, for how welcoming and lovely your heart is for sinners and sufferers like here in this room and on live stream as well. So, Father, remind us of your beauty and glory, and let that be the factor that draws us in to your heart. And may we prioritize you above all things, because you are the most beautiful, desirable thing in our life. So, Lord, be with our church members here. Uh, keep us safe and healthy in this new year. But most importantly, may our spiritual health and vitality be centered upon who you are and what you have done for us in your Son. 
We pray all of this in Christ's name.